Before we begin, I'd just like to say thank you to my friends at Hair Saloon for supporting this podcast and for providing space at their corporate offices to record it. Hair Saloon's mission has as much to do with the restoration of men as it does with the business of haircutting. They try to make a difference in the lives of the thousands of men who come through their doors each week. Hair Saloon is based in St. Louis, Missouri, and if you've ever been interested in running your own business and want to work with great people, I would highly recommend you check out the Hair Saloon franchise opportunity. Go to hairsaloonfranchise.com to find out more information. That's hairsaloonfranchise.com. Also, a quick reminder to subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already, and to please take two minutes to give us your review. And if you have a question or a comment you'd like to share with our listeners, go to Suzanne at the SuzanneVenkerShow.com. Welcome back to The Suzanne Venker Show. I'm your host, Suzanne Venker. We all crave intimacy. It's essential to our emotional and spiritual health, and without it, we don't feel whole. Yet today, our culture faces an intimacy crisis. Many of us, even when we're in a committed relationship, still feel painfully alone. For more than four decades, world-renowned author, counselor, and teacher Rabbi Manus Friedman has empowered couples to successfully navigate their own intimacy issues and replace loneliness and unfulfilled expectations with a deeply soulful and satisfying relationship. In his book, The Joy of Intimacy, Rabbi Friedman shares the deeper truths at the heart of our longing for intimacy, along with practical wisdom from Jewish tradition insights anyone can use to recapture passion, save their relationship, and tap into the essence of of the true intimate experience. Rabbi Friedman joins us now via Skype. Hello, Rabbi Friedman. Hello, and thank you so much. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, this is great. I've um, watched so much of your videos and interviews online, and um, this particular issue, I know you talk about more than just this one, but I wanted to hone in on this book, The Joy of Intimacy, and this topic, because I think it is so so topical and important. Um, it seems to me that you say the exact same thing, so I don't know why you would need me. <laughs> That's, well, you know what I love about you is that, first of all, I love bringing in the Jewish tradition to this conversation because, of course, my podcast or none of my work is particularly religious, um, although I'm always very fascinated by Jewish um, faith because, well, one thing that stands out is that I read um, about the divorce rate among Orthodox Jewish couples being 10%. <laughs> and when I read that, I just thought, okay, so clearly there's something here that the rest of us can can learn from. So I want to talk about that at some point in this interview as well. But um, I think the most, I think the good a, be, a good place to start is to perhaps explain what what intimacy really is compared to what people think it might be? Very good question, because there's a lot of confusion. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> the first thing is, let's get love out of the way. Love is destroying marriages all over the country. <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly all what you mean when you say that. And I love the way you put it. Yeah. Yeah. Because we worship love. We worship love. It is, it is the deity. It is the idol of America, the American idol. And <clears throat> like all idols, it disappoints. It does. Marriage yeah. has got to be something more than love. Here, here. Of course, of course you should love your spouse. But that's not what makes a spouse. 
So whether you love your husband or wife or you don't, you're very married. Marriage is real and it stands on its own. It is not a byproduct of love. So that old song, love and marriage go together like a horse and carriage. Yeah. No, <laughs> no, they don't. Marriage has got to be far more significant than love because love is so subjective and it's so fickle and it's so fragile. You can't build a relationship on love. Love, love is not a beast of burden that can't carry a relationship. It certainly does not bring intimacy. Here's the scary thing. Love is selfish. Love is what I feel. Yes, I feel it about you, towards you, but it's my feeling, and I like that feeling. I can be very selfish about it. So when I say I love you, I is the first word in the sentence for a reason, because when I say I love you, I'm talking about me, not about you. I'm describing myself. I love you. Of course, if I didn't love you, I'd love somebody else. <laughs> so love really gets in the way of intimacy because you know, you're asking for a definition of what is intimacy. Yeah. Intimacy means two people connecting to each other with no foreign ingredient, no thing necessary to bring us together. If some thing brings us together, we'll never become one. So, we'll not be intimate. So how does a couple become intimate? Well, if we can put all things aside, I make this joke about if you ask your grandmother, what happens in the bedroom? Your grandmother would say, nothing. <laughs> you say, come on, tell me. I'm 48. <laughs> and the grandmother says, nothing. Actually, that is the correct answer. A bedroom is where a husband and wife come together with nothing between them. So a bedroom, a real bedroom, is a no-thing zone. So, for example, if, if a man says to a woman, I want to marry you, I love you for your money. I want to marry you for your money. I love you for your money. And he's, he's just being honest. She <laughs> has money. <laughs> she has money. He likes money. Perfect match. <laughs> Why is that offensive? Well, because no one wants to be loved for, for, for their money. Right. How about if I love you for love? I love you because I'm getting love from you. Is that any better than money? <laughs> I think money is more useful. <laughs> You're so anti-love. <laughs> <laughs> so so here's, here's the offensive part of okay. it. When I say I want to marry you for your money, I'm literally saying I want to marry the money, not you. Mm-hmm. Because if you could just give me the money <laughs> without my having to marry you, that would be perfect. But you're not going to do that, right? 
so I'm going to have to marry you for your money. But that's why if you run out of money. Oh, well, that must, you, you must you must see that a lot. I mean, I, I imagine that's kind of common. I mean, what happens you're on a you're on a track as a married couple, whoever's making what and then something happens and all of a sudden that person doesn't have it anymore. The relationship, I would think, would potentially fall apart because it wasn't built on solid ground. Yes. So it really is saying you have no place in my life. You don't belong in my life. Except for the money. <clears throat> Without the money, what are you doing in my house? Get out of here. Why is that any different than love? What happens if you stop loving me? Or I stop loving you? There's nothing left. Get out of my house. I think what you're getting at, though, is that there's got to be more, obviously, than these things. So even the love, you're comparing love, correct me if I'm wrong, to money saying, though, if you're not bound by something else greater than that, it will fall apart, ultimately. Because that's what people mean when they say, I fell out of love, which I don't believe you really fall out of love anyway. That's not why you marry anyway. But um, is that not what your point is? Yes. Yeah. So what is it that is more than love? And even more than money, <laughs> if you don't need anything to bring you together, you don't both enjoy tennis, you don't both love pina colada and walks in the rain. If you love something in common, you're both going to be married to that thing, not to each other. So intimacy means... I need you in my life. For what? For no thing. Just you. Just you. I see. That's very good. I, I see what you mean. So imagine a man says, and I've actually had this experience. A man says, I love everything about my wife. Pretty nice, no? Mm -hmm. But his wife wants a divorce. <laughs> So something is not so nice. So who's who, imagine that he's actually being honest and he really does love everything about her. So I ask him, you love everything about her. Do you love her? He says everything about her. I said, no, no, not about her. Do you love her? He says, I don't know what you're saying. What is her if you take all things away. So imagine a guy says, I want to marry you for your money, for your looks, for your love, for your sense of humor, for your intelligence, even for your family. I love your mother too. <laughs> he loves everything, just not her. So when, when my first book was published, 1990-something, <clears throat> you know, the, the publisher, of course, chooses the title. Yes, I know all too well. <laughs> yeah. So the title they chose was, Doesn't Anyone Blush Anymore? Which is, which is good. It worked. Yeah, it was, good, it was yeah. successful. It was great. But the title I wanted for this book on relationships, the title was, Shut Up, I Love You. Because that basically describes the crisis in marriage. I love you. Mm -hmm. We got married because we were looking for love. We have love. Can you just shut up and love me? Do you have to have a personality? 
<laughs> so what's Do the, you have to have an opinion? What's the theme of that book? Um, I mean, what's the ultimate point you're getting across in that particular book? The, the theme basically is that uh, intimacy comes from exclusivity, from having healthy borders. Um, but, but that, that is usually the problem. I don't want all of you. I want something from you or many things from you, but you, I don't need. So please keep your opinion to yourself, your moods, your feelings, your needs. I don't want to hear about it. Have you found this to be more, so you've been counseling for decades and, um, I believe I saw in one of your interviews that you said there's been more of you noticed something more in recent years that's more of a crisis than in the years past when you were counseling. What is that, and what is your assessment of why that is? <clears throat> uh, the loneliness. You said it yourself. People who are married, successfully married, they have no complaints, but they'll admit that they feel completely alone. That should not be happening. No, no, I'm sort of confused. So, you, so you've seen more and more of this lately, and they admit that they're alone, and your, your job is to sort of help them understand how you can have a quote-unquote happy marriage and still feel alone? And that gets into the intimacy piece and explain to them that loving someone is different from sharing intimacy. Is that yes, yeah. yes. If I'm not connected to you, just to things about you, then I am alone. I'm alone with my things. So do I have love in my life? Yes. Do I have sex in my life? Yes. Is it good? Perfect. But that's just me. I am alone because I'm not joined to another human being. And here's where the Bible comes in. The Bible says, Therefore should a man leave his mother and father, cleave to his wife, and become one. Which tells us an interesting thing. If you're very, very close with your mother and father, you have a wonderful, meaningful relationship with your parents, you're still alone. You're, the only way to stop being alone is to cleave to a spouse. Because that's the only relationship in which you are truly the only one. With your parents, you're not the only one, because they have each other. Oh my, you have your work cut out for you in the modern world. I mean, what you're talking about is resonating hugely in my brain, and I know exactly what you're getting at, and I'm thinking, holy moly. I mean, the world we live in today is so clueless when it comes to this stuff. I I don't even know where a couple who doesn't understand what you're saying would begin. I mean, because of what the kind of culture we live in that celebrates something else entirely. The disinformation is terrible. Really? It's, um, yeah. So this young couple come and they say to me, we are very in love. We want to get married. Will you do the wedding? I said, you're, you're in love. They said, yes, very much. (laughs) I said, then don't get married. (laughs) You're going to say that. Too late. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Tell my listeners about, I'm I'm a little familiar with, I think I know what you're getting at, Jewish tradition. So I have, I do relationship coaching. I think you know that. And I've had, interestingly enough, 
several couples from Brooklyn who are Jewish, and I think you're in Brooklyn, yes? Yeah. Yeah, so I think there's a strong Orthodox community there, uh, Jewish Orthodox community there. And um, I've gotten to know a little bit about how that whole getting together thing works in that um, arena that's very different from the rest of us. So could you explain that and, and, and the reasons behind it? about how people get together and how it's a short period of time and what they're looking for and all that. Yeah. Uh, It wasn't so long ago that that was the way people got married everywhere. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just Jews and it wasn't just Orthodox Jews. People got married for the sake of marriage. They, They found themselves insufficient just being me is not enough. That's what motivates marriage. So how do I stop being just me? I include you. Do I love you? Sometimes. <laughs> not, right, not right now. Right. <laughs> Which gets to the so, whole feelings ebb and flow thing, you know, concept, and you can't depend on them, so that's a bad way to go through a marriage. And feelings. Yes. Yeah. And and it's not that the love is not strong enough. It can't be. It's not a disappointing love if it if it if it's not stable. That's the nature of a relationship of an emotion. Emotions are not stable. That's why they're exciting. He loves me. He loves me not. How exciting is that? But a relationship has to be if I mean, the very least, it has to be stable. So love can't make something stable. Love is a spice. So the marriage for, for all people all over the world was for the sake of marriage to have someone other than me in my life. Other than me, <laughs> this is scary, other than me means somebody with a different opinion. With other needs, not my needs. And that's what I want. I want someone other than me, not a clone. So if we share everything, we love the same things. We have the same opinion about everything. Is that going to be a good marriage? No, it's a good roommate. But there's nothing magical about it. Marriage is magical. You become a we, and you're not alone anymore. Do you now, there's, there's a the beautiful, beautiful song, um, Piano Man, mm, mm-hmm. Billy Joel. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Know it well. So you remember, you remember the line, they're sharing a drink called loneliness. Yes. Mm-hmm. At the bar. But it's be- <laughs> right. But it's better than drinking alone. Mm-hmm. Very, very meaningful. There's a difference between loneliness and aloneness. Loneliness, you share it. You go to the bar and you find other lonely people and you share your loneliness. And for a while, you're not lonely. But what happens when you come home? It's not that you're lonely again. No, you're alone And that is destroying us. It turns out 
that being alone, independent, self-sufficient mm-hmm. is terrible. It's terrible. It's terrible. And the, the proof it's is... a the, health hazard. It is. And we have proof on, on loneliness numbers now after years of this message of you don't need... And it, let's face it, this has really been a message targeted to women, not to men. It's been to women. Mostly. Yeah, yeah, that you don't need a but, man, but I, you, you're fine to be alone, and that's a good thing, and a, you know, ultimately a better thing. Yeah, but I'm saying there's a difference between loneliness and aloneness. Yes. Yeah, loneliness is not killing people. Aloneness is, and that's cured only by marriage. Got it. Where you actually merge with another human being. Here's a good example. People say. What is there? What do you mean, do I love her and not something about her? Who is her? Like people say, why can't you accept me for who I am? (laughs) I don't know who you am. And neither do you. Tell me who you am and don't tell me anything about you. Can you do that? (laughs) Most people can't. But your husband is out of town. You miss him? Yeah. What do you miss about him? <laughs> I just miss him. Well, what do you miss? No, no, it's not what, it's him. He's not home. I miss him. Ah, so you do know what that means. The, the problem is, as soon as he walks in the door, it becomes about something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good, you're home. Now you can fix that or do this or take out the garbage. <laughs> Yeah. So we know what it means. Yeah. It's negative. We know what it means to feel alone. And alone means without her. Not without love. It's without her. So love is not is is not a is not a substitute for marriage. Um, it's not what makes a marriage. And the same thing is true with sex. The average person thinks marriage, a really good marriage, is real love and good sex. Those are the two things that destroy marriages. Both love and sex are selfish. It's about me. It does not help me connect to you. And the fact that you love the same things, well, that's good for you, but we're still not connecting. A very graphic example. After being intimate, the husband says, or the wife says, so how was it? How was it? This is not intimate. There was an it in the room. I thought it was just us. And why do you have to ask? I don't uh, Yeah, No, it, uh, the whole question strikes me as odd. I don't. Uh, uh, yeah <laughs> but so typical i guess so yeah i mean well how was it ew i just don't oh. i don't <laughs> oh it was it was so good yeah it was good we're alone we're completely alone looking for the pleasure of sex makes you alone because only you experience it you have to ask your spouse, how it was. So first of all, there's an it. No it in the bedroom. 
no things in the just us it's not a performance it's not a treat it's us and when us are together it's always good it's always perfect yeah but was it the maximum pleasure that <laughs> so the, all those magazines and 14 secrets to better sex yeah oh that means that i'm out 14 secrets that's it you just destroyed my sex life <laughs> um and this is i guess what you i had written down here that um that you said sex without intimacy does not make love and so <laughs> i knew i know you've talked about porn a lot and how that um interrupts which I completely agree. And I, that's not a subject that I have ever really taken on, but I do agree with that. Um, because it gets the focus off of the two of you and onto an external stimuli that you need to make whatever happened between you happen, which ideally is not the way it should work. If, if the goal is intimacy, you can certainly have good sex that way. I suppose I wouldn't know, but it's not going to hit the intimacy point. And that's, so can you speak to that? I actually don't speak about porn. Oh, I thought all I, I, all I say all I say is that what's happening in the average bedroom in America is now pornography. Explain that. Then. It's mainstream. Explain that. Okay, if if people if people want an, a practical suggestion, we're married, we're okay, but there's no intimacy. There's no feeling of intimacy. The sex is good, the love is good, the, the income is good, we're comfortable, we, we like each other, it's good. But I, I feel alone. Practical suggestion. In the bedroom, when you're being intimate, the light must be off, it must be dark. Only in the dark. And there should be no music playing and no television playing, you shouldn't be hearing anything. And there should be no talk. Nothing going on other than the two of you. So you don't hear anything, you don't see anything, and you don't say anything. Where is your mind going to go? Now you're going to have some intimacy. People are so amazed. Right. The light's off. Mm -hmm. Off. Wow. I remember television shows back in the 50s and 60s. If the couple were going to be intimate, like, you know, I Love Lucy or The Honeymooners, or, what did they do? They turned the lamp off, yeah. and now you knew they were going to be intimate. <laughs> yeah. That was the norm. Yeah. How is it that in most homes today, the lights stay on? That's pornography. Why do you call that pornography? Oh, the only reason to have it on is because, you know, we can't take pictures in the dark. Because mm. you need to see, in other words, instead of feel? Yes. Is that what you mean? Yes, yes, yes. Have you ever so, given this as a, a, a task to a couple and then they come back and they hadn't done it that way before? and then Amazing. Yeah. Just that one little change. <laughs> I also suggest separate beds. This conversation, actually, go ahead. Tell me, tell me your thoughts on that. I, I cannot imagine what it's like to share a bed <laughs> when you want to sleep. First of all, it is so insulting. 
Why? Why do you, you use in, that word? You get into bed, and uh, I'm just going to sleep now. Yeah, I'm right here. Yeah, but I'm going to sleep now. <laughs> don't wake me. <laughs> if that doesn't kill romance, I don't know what. When did we move, actually, from back in the day when we had separate beds in the same room to one bed? When was that exactly and why? Do you know? I don't know, but it's terrible. <laughs> it's terrible. It's like, you know, I'm tired. Just leave me alone. Or, you know, we're here. We might as well. Might as well, yeah. might as well have some sex. Oh, that is so deadening. I think that if you're going to be intimate, you should at least show a little, little initiative. <laughs> at least get up. <laughs> and this go is to really funny. Bed. This is really interesting. Show because, an interest. <laughs> um, you know, people when they can't sleep, when they have trouble actually physically sleeping, sex aside, as married couples, they feel a lot of guilt. Um, over not sleeping in the same bed when the only issue should really be, I guess, if you're, if you're simply not having sex ever, I guess, and sleeping separately, that would be an issue. But just simply sleeping in a separate bed, as long as your sex life is still existent, is a, is a non-issue. But people are very freaked out about that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, in, in royalty, you know, the olden days, the king and yeah. queen had separate chambers. Yes. You think about that. It is so romantic. It is so romantic. Not, I talk about this all the time. He knocks on her door. Yeah, I know. It's so, and it keeps it so that you're not too familiar. I mean, there's something to be said for that. You know, when you go into those old places and get tours in, in certain cities of these of these uh, bedrooms, and you just you stop and think, wow, that's that's kind of cool. At least I do. Yes, it is. It really is, because. In, uh, familiarity breeds contempt. Mm -hmm. So if you're if you're in bed with your wife, how dare you go to sleep? Oh, that's good. Say that again. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Does your marriage or love life feel hard? I get a lot of emails from readers who are struggling in their relationships. Unfortunately, the help an individual or couple needs can rarely be answered in a series of back-and-forth emails. For this reason, I offer coaching for individuals who are struggling in their relationships and for couples whose marriages feel stuck. Just go to SuzanneBenker.com and click on Coaching at the top to sign up for a session with me. That's SuzanneBenker.com. Your wife is right there, and you just want to sleep? That's terrible. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. Gosh, everything you say is so provocative. It just gives a completely different spin on it. And it's such common sense. And I want to go back to I haven't even gotten to any of my questions. This is so funny, although it's it's interwoven with what we're talking about. Um, but going back to the Jewish the Jewish thing. So I'm not sure we specified exactly how what I learned that was different uh, for Orthodox Jews anyway. And that is that they only know each other for a few weeks at the beginning. Oh, okay. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. OK, so the dating process the and dating, how we yeah. how we get married. Right. A, a man and a woman meet because they want to be married. They're not looking for a date. They're not looking to fill an evening. There is no dating as such. You meet because you're looking to get married. If that's your focus, after six meetings, you know whether you want to marry this person or not. So here's another thing I recommend. If you really want to get married, stop dating. 
take out your calendar mm -hmm. and mark a realistic date for your wedding. And the next time you meet someone, the first thing you do is you pull out your calendar and you say, I am scheduled for June 15th. If he says, of which year, just go home. <laughs> you want to get married. What are you doing about getting married? Well, I'm dating. No, dating is not marriage. Dating becomes like a quasi-marriage when there isn't the real thing. You can do this for the rest of your life. And you can get really good at it. And the better you get at dating, the less capable you are of marriage. Oh, yeah. That's a whole conversation right there. Oh, yeah. Right. So we have never permitted dating. Are you getting married or not? Is the six-date rule a, a hard and fast? No, 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 no. Okay, that's just a generalization. Yeah, right. right. And do here's, the, here's the point. Okay. You want to be married because marriage is a wonderful idea, not because you met someone wonderful. So a guy says, I want to be married. I really do. But I haven't met the right woman. Are you looking, this is another way of putting it, are you looking for a woman? Then you'll never be married. If you're looking for a wife, you'll get married. If you're looking for a man, you can keep looking for the rest of your life. You're not going to run out of men. But if you're looking for your husband, that's a different story. Okay, I'm going to stop you there. That's very interesting and sort of goes um, hand in hand with, um, in my more recent book, I have a chapter that is all about if that whatever mindset and attitude and philosophy you have toward marriage as an institution, irrespective of the person, will make or break whether you're successful. There you go. We what are you bringing in? Yeah. What are you bringing into the table? Because if you because it's if it's just that I love him, like you said, or her, you you will likely fail. You you have to marry someone whose views on marriage itself as an institution match yours. Otherwise, you will you will struggle. And that's been my argument. So that kind of goes hand in hand with what, what I think you're saying. Yeah, because we all know every girl at the age of nine or eight or 10 wants to be married, just not to a guy. <laughs> Boys are disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> so marriage is an ideal that exists on its own merit. And then all of a sudden we grow up and it's all about the person, not about the marriage. Now, here's here's really the sad thing, and we, and we both know that this is that this is true. We've never been so free, we've never been so liberated in our love, in our sex, in our relationships, in our dating, coupling, whatever possible. It's all open and available. People get married for love. People can talk openly about their sex needs and so on and so forth. We both know that sex is not happening. It's not happening. The average couple, if they're lucky, have sex once a month. Are you talking about married couples now? Yes. Yeah. It's just not happening. They're sleeping in the same bed. They have all sorts of... Um, 
aphrodisiacs that is supposed to help you get excited mm-hmm. and, and nobody nobody's excited we're 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 becoming extinct <laughs> there's no there's no sex it's boring it's tedious we just we just don't I've always to... made the argument tell me what you think of this that because of the kind of sex that we're having as a culture prior to getting married how can the reality of married life and what sex is going to look like in that environment possibly compare to the unencumbered, no responsibility, free-flowing for years uh, prior to marriage sex that you're going to have just because you want to and it will whenever? I mean, like in other words, sex before marriage and sex after marriage do not look anything alike for a slew of reasons. So obviously you're going to have a letdown if your idea has been tainted by this concept of what you think sex is going to be like for forever with this person. Yep. Sex used to be intimate. But then in the 60s, mm-hmm. we decided, both men and women, decided that sex should not be intimate. It should be free. Free love. Interestingly, that we call sex love. And they're, and they're both not good for intimacy. So we decided that intimacy is not necessary. It's too burdensome, too restrictive, too heavy, too responsible. Just enjoy. Have fun. Have fun. Make love, not war. You know, that, that whole thing. Mm-hmm. We're paying the price now with the Me Too. Oh. <laughs> you see, all of a sudden... Yeah. The things that were supposed to be fun and games mm-hmm. are not. Are not. So these men who are accused of all sorts of misbehavior, they don't know what hit them. No. They're totally surprised. It's not that they don't respect women. Some say that it's the abuse of power, that men in power are abusing their power. Mm-hmm. But women do the same thing. Of course they do. Women in yes. power will abuse the power. Uh-huh. And they'll use what they've got. And they know right. how to do that. And then they yes. told the men they wanted to do that. So then the men responded and then they get slammed later. That's different from right. raping somebody. So what went wrong or what is going wrong now, a new problem, is that both men and women have lost respect for intimacy. So these guys who are accused of all this behavior, if you say to them, don't you respect women? They will honestly say, of course I do. Mm-hmm. Well, then why did you do what you did? And I'm sure their answer is going to be, what? It was nothing. Right, yeah. It was nothing. Right. So I made a crude joke. So a little nudity, a little, so what? Didn't we agree that it's all fun and games? Now, all of a sudden, women are saying, wait a minute. No, it's not. It's intimacy being abused. We need to have more respect for intimacy. Sex used to be synonymous with intimacy. And it was dangerous and it was it was powerful and it was scary. Mm-hmm. It was awesome. Now it's just too boring to even be bothered with. People would rather do anything other than real sex. And so what's going on in the world today is oral and and alternative and and mechanical 
just real intimacy, nobody's interested. We're not good at it. It's too personal. You're getting too close. I'm getting too involved. Yeah. So two things. First of all, the loneliness that is that is horrible. And secondly, the fact that there's no sex going on. We're just not interested anymore. We can sleep side by side for a month and nothing happens. You have to have a date night. You're married. Yeah, but if we don't schedule a date, oh, come on. That is very sad. That doesn't happen in a traditional Jewish family. Because in a traditional Jewish family, you're not allowed to be intimate for two weeks out of the month. Oh, right. That's another. That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, talk so about other, that for a minute because we need to we need to start winding down, and I have a question for you to kind of wrap this up, but that's important. So tell people the purpose behind that. Well, it's one of the commandments in the Bible that a man may not be intimate with a woman during her period. I understand that in Chinese medicine, they have the same the same principle because uh, yin and yang philosophy. Mm-hmm says that when a woman is discharging, she is not receptive because you can't be going in two directions at the same nice. time. Mm. And so they do not have intimacy during during the period. So for two weeks, the, the couple are physically not intimate, but then the other two weeks, you got to make up for it. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of fun in a way because it allows you the time to get excited about it for the next time. Right, and then there's would, then there's like a renewal. Yeah, we're, we're back. Yeah, we're back together. So, I think the key, the punchline of the whole thing is, we're not comfortable allowing another person into our private space. That's not good. Another biblical statement: It is not good for man to be alone. That is a divine instruction. It's telling us you are not good by yourself. You're not enough for yourself. Hmm. God created the world because he wasn't enough for himself. Certainly a human being can't be enough. It has to be a union to where you become one. So the purpose of marriage is to become one not to have a good time, not to get your needs met. You're there to merge with each other. And the moment of intimacy, physical intimacy, where you literally cannot tell the difference between yourself and your spouse. You don't know where you end and the spouse begins. That moment, and it's only a moment, that changes everything. You become so bonded, you're like Siamese twins. Do you love each other? I don't know. <laughs> but, you, but you can't be without each other. That's, I like that. Um, so to, just to, to wrap up, do you think that the divorce rate that's so low among Orthodox Jews, I mean, I mean 10% compared to our somewhere between 40 and 50 is, is pretty shocking. I mean, that's dramatic. 
Would you then, I'm assuming, suggest that everything we've been talking about in terms of the attitude toward marriage and dating and thinking about sex and intimacy and all that is ultimately the reason for that? I think so. And unfortunately, the 10% is way too high. A few years ago, it was 2%. Oh, what? when did that switch? Like, You know, the, the exposure to uh, the media... Yeah. And it's everywhere, everywhere, the message that you can have better sex and mm -hmm. more love. Mm -hmm. It's so distracting and it's so misleading. It's terrible. Yeah. So it went up from 2% to 10%. Wow, I didn't know that. Shocking. Okay. That is, that is, that is. It's all okay, relative, more, but anyway. One more go, thought. Okay. We always talk about our grandparents' marriages, our great-grandparents. Divorce was unheard of. And people say, oh, yeah, they didn't get divorced, but they were miserable with mm -hmm, each other, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean they were happy, just divorce was not acceptable. They didn't know how to get divorced. <laughs> no, here's the difference. They married each other to have each other, not for things that they can get from each other. We marry the things we don't really want each other. So they would never think about divorcing because what would I do without you? I can't be me without you. It just so happens that there are many things about you I can't stand. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so why do you have to be like that? Why do you have to be like your mother? Why are you not like my mother? Why do you have to have... And they bickered and they argued and they complained about all things but they would never give each other up. Mm -hmm. We have the opposite. We're so hung up on things, but we're not really comfortable with each other. Well, I think that's a perfect way to end it, and I think you're going to have to come back, Rabbi Friedman. What do you think? <laughs> There's too much here. <laughs> if you twist my arm, yeah, I'll, I'll yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Gladly, so gladly, what, gladly. thank you. I really would really like that. And I, this has just been a great conversation and I tell, tell people where they can learn more about your work. I'm sure if they just Google your name, they, they can find out everything they need, but you might want to spell it for them or what have you. Yeah. Everything I've said in the last 20 years is online. <laughs> got, great. Got no privacy whatsoever. <laughs> so it's Rabbi Manis, M-A-N-I-S, right? And then F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N. Yes. Or just Rabbi Friedman. Or Rabbi skip Friedman. the first name. Okay. And you can go to, to itsgoodtoknow.org. Itsgoodtoknow.org. Great. Okay. Well, this has been amazing. Really appreciate your coming on, and I will definitely get with you soon and, and have you back. There's a lot more to talk about. Thank you so much. Keep up the good work. It's life-saving. Thank you very much. Well, that wraps up another edition of The Suzanne Venker Show. My guest today was Rabbi Manus Friedman, author of The Joy of Intimacy. Tune in next week to hear my recent interview with Tucker Carlson. After that, we'll take a break until after the holidays, and in January, I'll spend the entire month talking about the masculine and feminine dynamic with Andre Parody and cover any media stories that apply to this theme. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great week. <laughs>